Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. And welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Behind the Scene, a podcast dedicated to uncovering and understanding our racial biases. And we are coming at you uh, with a new theme this season called Check the Box. And typically, we try to keep things pretty evergreen. We don't really, we want you to be able to go back a few months or a year, two years from now and listen to an episode and not really know when the episode was recording. But we happen to be recording in the middle, or I guess we should say maybe at the very start of the coronavirus pandemic. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today a little bit. Uh, and so that's going to timestamp this a little. But Brandon and I are not recording in the same room. We're, I'm actually in Dallas. Brandon is still in Washington, D.C. So we're, we're uh, recording this remotely. Uh, but we plan to do that before because our, we're going into year two of behind the scene. Last year didn't really count because it was disrupted with some life changes. I went out to California for the summer. Uh, and Brandon pivoted to some new work. Uh, but we wanted to tally-ho and get started on season three with fresh new perspective. And then coronavirus hit. And so I'm actually in the suburbs. I'm huddled in a closet because there is lawn maintenance going on outside. And I'm, and this <laughs> is the quietest place I could find. Oh, so, well, that's, that's, that's good, Mark. That's good. Yeah. You know, you got to record where you can record. That's how, that's how we are out here in these streets. You know, trying to trying to record a podcast in a in a closet. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's come to. <laughs> I I actually miss having to put up with the uh, the sirens from city recording because oh, man, I realize when I, I, the house I'm in is on a cul-de-sac and it's kind of on a corner cul-de-sac. I don't even know if that makes sense, but surrounded by houses and so everybody's on a different lawn schedule. So I swear to God, lawn maintenance is happening every day of the week if not more yeah well and it's well, uh but that could just be the cabin fever talking i might just it could be no crazy. it's happening i'm going a little stir crazy too i mean i'm in a high rise now in washington and there are construction workers sometimes right outside my window and uh sometimes they're actually up in the air on cranes literally outside the window oh my and gosh. i'm on the eighth floor so if you can imagine some of the challenges um being locked in uh you know for the foreseeable future um you know what is most annoying is waking up and then having you know to look at someone in their face you know who i do not know staring at me you know and they're not window washing i have no idea what they're doing oh my gosh yeah but anyway but you know uh i'm grateful i'm glad that they have jobs and all all this they're still doing construction so interesting times but yeah you know we we had to you know, make some uh, pivots last year, you know, um, you know, Mark, you can great. You share with the people what you ended up doing, you know, last, last summer, <laughs> you know, just a really interesting turn of events, you know, for both of us, you know, that were really um, both things, you know, my own shift was about growth and being able to greater my own impact and in, in, in the world and um, help people at, at, at scale um, uh, you know, working as a, as a grant maker, basically, you know, to organizations that are committed to social healing and, um, to bridging divides. And so that was really, um, an, an incredible shift for me. And, um, and, uh, and I moved, you know, uh, you know, uh, just changed little geographies, you know, within the city and that took time and energy and, uh, and Mark just up and left DC altogether. And so once I got over my feelings of abandonment and rejection, <sighs> then, then it was tally ho. Then it was tally ho. Now we're back. Yeah. Now we're back. Yeah. But, but you were, were gone back. for a little bit. You were gone for a little bit. Yeah. I was gone for a little bit. Thought I was going to return to DC after the summer, but then uh, changes came again. There was a, a congressional race, and this is the only time I'll mention it just briefly on the podcast um, that's opening up near my home district in Dallas, uh, a congressional race. And so I decided to jump in as an independent because I was tired of the uh, the boxes, so to speak, that uh, 
politicians try to put us in and divide us by. And so I was like, you know what, why not try to elevate the conversation in politics? So that's what I'm doing here. And it's a little tough during coronavirus, but everything's tough during coronavirus, mm. even even racial healing. And that's oh, kind of gosh. what we're gonna... And that's what we do. <laughs> do you like that segue? Gee, even that is what uh, we do here. <laughs> coronavirus. I have friends that are calling it Miley virus. Oh my. Uh, because she came in like a wrecking ball. Oh my get that. Gosh. That'll be fun yeah. for the people. That'll be fun. That seem it's winning in all of the meetings that I'm in. And I tell okay. people, you know, some people are calling it the Rona or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or coming mm-hmm. with little nicknames for this thing. Mine is Miley virus. Miley virus. I like it. And maybe Hopefully it'll catch on. Trade, yeah, I, I think it will catch on. I I I'll have to trademark it, you know. Um, yeah. so I can get some some cash out of that. But um in in the meantime, you know, I think it, it fits in um you know, I mean, it has to fit in because this is life as as we know it for a number of days from from now. You know, so we have to be talking about uh, and really considering some of the issues regarding cohesion and and uh, mm. race, um, uh, the racial healing and discrimination as it relates to um, this virus and how it's taken over the world. And um, and I think, uh, I mean, I, I I don't know if it's if it's in, uh, how we tee this up, you know, sort of our our theme, you know, for this season. Um, I mean, give it your best shot, Mark, if you, (laughs) I think, and then we can get into it probably, you know, about how we want to sink in, you know, for this, but for sure. Well, I think, you know, the theme is check the box and it's all about what are the boxes that people or yourself are trying to put you in. And so, you know, whether that's, uh, whatever your identity is as a white person, as a black person, as a Democrat, as a Republican, as uh, whatever the case is, whatever you identify as, are you a stay-at-home mom? What are the things that people try to just kind of pigeonhole you as? And it's very difficult for them to see you as anything outside of that. And it's very easy for us to internalize that and to kind of run with it and integrate it into our identity in an unhealthy way so that when anything attacks it, we feel personally attacked when really it's just, you know, should be, kind of two people trying to come together uh, through understanding. And I think the way coronavirus fits into that in this discussion overall, we're going to have to take a macro view of what racial justice is. So we'll back it up here in a minute. But uh, this is turning out to be kind of the great equalizer and not necessarily in a good way, but it's kind of tearing everything down. And I saw Madonna post a video near the early part of this where she's talking about how we're all equal. And meanwhile, she's saying this in her mansion now. And <laughs> I, I swear that some progressives are gleeful about the fact that we're all kind of being torn down to the same level. And my whole thing is I'm a proponent of human flourishing. I think that fire can contribute to human flourishing. That was, you know, two years ago, three years ago now when I experienced it in my life to quite a degree, it really helped shape me into something stronger. So I think that there's opportunity to be stronger on the other side of this. But in the stripping it down, we are super hyper-focused on our own needs, as we should be. We are that way naturally, uh, kind of fight or flight kicks in. But I think that there's opportunity here to lean in and not just look after what is best for you. How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to get food, get your groceries? But what can we do? What is best for us? And especially once we get on the other side of this and hopefully, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks and we have to rebuild. I mean, this is a total reshifting of things unlike we've ever seen before. And so this will present an opportunity to rebuild. And then once we do rebuild, how can we do that most equitably? And the conversation I'm realizing, you know, as we were sitting down and planning on what we wanted to talk about, like that looks completely different now. I feel like, and maybe not to in your perspective, Brandon, but you know, for me, th- this was a very privileged conversation. And it sounds weird to say that because we're talking about marginalized people uh, and prejudice. But to have this conversation in general and to talk about it from a very heady standpoint and try to convince people who have the means, you know, whether it's resources to distribute those, you know, to those who have less, but also just, you know, those with more privilege in society. It's maybe something that's not tangible to redistribute that somehow and uh and when everything's kind of stripped down like this i feel like that completely just turns it on its head and now we don't have really the the privilege to talk about it we we have to act on it now 
you know, we can't just talk theoretically about these things. Now we have to put it to action. And I think that that's kind of where I think the conversation will go. But I think it, I guess it depends on how you define racial justice in the first place. So maybe we have to back it up there a little bit. Does that sound like a, a yeah. good deal? Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I mean, check, check, check the box, check it, um, mm-hmm. check, check, check yourself, pre-wreck yourself kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I think, um, you know, when, when we were initially, you know, thinking about this, <clears throat> this uh, concept, you know, check the box, you know, I had framed it as, you know, it's two sided, you know, don't check a box for me <laughs> based mm-hmm. upon your perspective yeah. of who you think I am. Right. right. That I am not only as I seem to you. Mm-hmm. And it is also important for me to not check just one box, but I need to then check all that apply. You know, there are so many things about who I am as a person, you know, that don't show up on the list of options when people ask me, you know, who are you? What do you think? What do you believe? What's your story? There's so many things, you know, that that fit into that spectrum of possibility that inform who I am today, that inform how I how I show up. And what is real is that if you're white, people will sometimes check a box, right, for you and says that because you're white, you think X, Y, and Z. People will do that if I'm black, right? They'll check a box for me and say, because you're black, then you are X, Y, and Z based upon their, their like experience of black people and brown people and so on and so forth, right? And so, and I think, you know, what's, what's, what's happening now is that we are, um, I think, uh, forced to, to, to look at this world that we're living in now um, as a result of something that we can't control. You can't control when a contagion comes and basically puts every country on the earth on notice. Um, we all of a sudden recognize that we're susceptible to contagion right? When we think that we're impervious to it most of the time until it happens to us. If you look at the news or the history of the news, whether it was the president or whether it was the officials in New York, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation was actually in the, in, in the sort of the, the, the pre-days, you know, of the coronavirus, you know, everyone was saying it's not a big deal and it's not going to happen to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it happens to us and all of a sudden we're faced with the reality that this could happen to me and it can happen to people that I know. And now I have to protect myself from this contagion. What I think is really interesting is that in 400 years (laughs) of racial injustice, right? Or whatever they, however we want to frame that history, um, we have not approached it as anything, you know, um, that, uh, you know, is synonymous to everyone's experience, right? Like not mm-hmm. every, like, like there are people in this country who say that racism isn't a thing for me if you're a person of privilege or, mm. or, or like whatever it is, right? Like there's an option, right? And the reality is that the contagion of racial injustice, right? If we're going to use that analogy, it is also a contagion. It has touched everybody. Mm-hmm. And we are, um, because of the length of time at which we have learned to navigate through, you know, years and years and years of racial, of, of, of the racial discrimination and the history of race and all these things. It's only when we have a flare up that any, that that people start to think, oh, well, we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're not actually taking a public health approach, you know, to actually dealing with the resurgence, the, the mutation of the same damn virus that's been impacting us for years and years and years at a time. And I think it's about time that we started to do that. So what happens? Only God could put the whole world in a timeout in a day, <laughs> you know? And he yeah. says, I want you to sit in a corner and I want you to think about what you've done. I want you to think about and, and I don't mean that God's being punitive about it, right? I don't think it's a judgment. I think it's merciful discipline. He's like, I'm, I'm going to give you, an, give you a, a, a time and a window. I'm going to ground you. And I want you to consider what happens. What value do you place on your life when you can't perform, perfect, or pretend through your work or through your relationships? And we have to then ask a question what is the meaning and the purpose of life? 
if I can't do any of those things for people that have lost their jobs, right? There's spinning, right? And it's a reasonable spinning because you've got to put food on the table. You've got to take care of your family. You know, the, the, the list of needs go on and on. And then there is also, you know, those of us who, who are able to work at home <laughs> and just mm -hmm. move our lives mobile and could easily miss an opportunity to help people where they need help the most. We miss an opportunity to be neighborly. We miss an opportunity to love people that are not just our friends, but to love our enemies because we're so self-preserving. And we could miss how to redeem time in the context of what we're being forced to do. No way am I looking at this virus and going, great, this is God's doing, you know, and he's punishing the earth you know, we're punishing people or whatever it is, you know, for, you know, our non-compliance with his will or something like that. You know, those types of existential questions I know people are asking. Um, but I do think that, that it's more complicated, more nuanced, and we can't just check the box on what we think this means. Yeah. There's so many options, you know, for how we can optimize on, on this whole thing in our lives that can take us into a post-corona world being more open and being more ready, more prepared to love our neighbor and in active and sustainable ways, you know, that, mm -hmm. that create the context for racial healing and in, in the world in which we need it. Yeah. And you said something that kind of, I thought was interesting. And I don't know if you meant to go this way, but you mentioned that, you know, so many people poo pooed coronavirus until either they got it or someone they knew got it until they saw the impact in their circles. And, you know, I've seen so many people have posted on Facebook, even just two weeks ago, who are like, oh, this is no big deal. This is just like the flu, who are now posting like, oh, my gosh, this is way worse. Like, take it seriously. My cousin Jan has it and she is just upended. So please stay home. And mm -hmm. in it, I shouldn't be surprised by that, because I think in the same way you talked about it as a contagion, just even in my own evolution on understanding racial bias and prejudice and uh, and things like that wasn't until I began to lean into the conversation and stopped being defensive and started listening and the the contours of, from people's stories, the familiarities in them, you know, from black friends who were like, oh, yeah, that experience, that happened to me. Uh, I was followed by someone in a store uh, just by because by virtue of being black and shopping, or I was pulled mm -hmm. over just by virtue of being black and driving. And so once I started seeing the commonalities there, they, they started to form the contours of what the racial bias is and what racism is. Uh, and similarly with coronavirus, you know, people poo-pooed it, but then once the commonalities of those stories come around, then you're like, okay, that's when your mind has changed. And so just an interesting aha thing there is that, you know, we're, we're human and that's kind of the way that we change and our minds are changed. Uh, not by being told you're a big dummy, you don't believe in <laughs> science if you don't believe that just coronavirus is a big deal, but okay, well, don't do anything and you're about to see and then maybe you'll trust me the next time I, I warn you about it. And um, But also you talked about it's exposing us, you know? We, we're kind of in a tailspin because we, if we put our identity in being a certain employee or a certain kind of producer or uh, what have you, then you're, then you might be in a tailspin. And if you're, you know, a stay at home parent, maybe you're just super person right now. You're, you're thriving. Like this is what you've trained your whole life for. If you're like my mom, she was a stay at home mom for so many years. Like she's just, I'm like, man, I need to be where you are because you know exactly how to ride this thing out. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, th these are, kind of creating so many different kinds of interesting conversations that uh, we could go so many different directions for. And I'm not even sure <laughs> kind of which direction. Yeah. We should go. I mean, well, we even said, I mean, we had a conversation. I said, I'm a little remiss because I'm like, you know, do we have this conversation, you know, about the Rona, you know, and its impact on global citizenry? I mean, do we really get into it? I mean, I, I think we have to have a responsibility to, you know, um, not just because it's impacting everyone's lives and it's the point of unity for all of us, you know, but I think it's also important to recognize that, look, we can oversaturate this, this space, 
you know, where, you know, are we saying anything different than what anybody else is saying? I think that um, it, it's important, you know, to get to the meat of the conversation. I think that, you know, I, I would use this as like a runway, you know, for really talking about what's getting exposed, not the fact that this could happen to us. It's what's getting exposed is that we think that we're not susceptible to something that we are the most susceptible to. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like we are the most susceptible to outside forces and mm -hmm. we've been living at the behest, you know, under the thumb of outside forces for a long time, but it's just stuff on the inside of us that we refuse to look at. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff in our collectives. It's things that get reinforced. I mean, there's so many things. I think I have a friend, you know, who's an Asian American who got ridiculed and called names in the context of, you know, this, this virus, whether you, you know, you're a conservative or a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter, or whatever it is, you know, wh whether or not you, you know, love or hate or don't care about the language of the quote unquote Chinese coronavirus, you know, um, you know, some people, you know, have, have, have taken that and run amok and are now wanting to, and not just wanting to actually acting um, uh, very mean, you know, towards Asian Americans, right. And discriminatory, you know, in, in, and, and racist, you know, in, and not even covert ways, <laughs> you know, they're doing it very, um, out front, you know, or if you guys heard, um, about how zoom, you know, now is the preferred platform, you know, for, digital meetings and the happy hours, digital happy hours that people are doing or, you know, classrooms, you know, they're virtual classrooms, things of that sort. And this one guy, you know, who's an African-American guy was on CBS this morning, I think today or yesterday. And, um, you know, Zoom bombings are, are, are taking place. So people are, are, are hacking Zoom calls, um, video, video conferences and writing on screens. And, and one of them, um, was, was hacked. And, and this, this guy was called a racial epithet, you know, called, called a nigger and some other things and all of it. And there are several incidents of that going up, you know, and so what's getting revealed here, you know, is that people are so persistent in their beliefs, they'll even bomb your zoom call <laughs> to let mm -hmm. you know how hateful they, they, they feel about you and how, um, uh, uh, how, how minimized you are in their eyes. They're so committed to communicating it to you that because you're black, you're not worthy because you're brown, you're worthy of, of, of getting this, this hate mail from someone that is hiding behind their computer screen now, you know, yeah. it's crazy, you know? Yeah. But it's always been think, there is the point, you know? Right. And now we don't have anything better to do except be on our computers and just lash out because we're scared and we're angry because we, we are exposed. Uh, one of the things when this first was kicking off two weeks ago, I, I was feeling a little helpless. I was feeling I had some respiratory symptoms myself and I was just feeling down and out. And I was like, I want to help. <laughs> like, But I feel helpless. So especially when you're just stuck at home, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I created a Facebook group, a co-op for North Texans to stay in touch for resources or and information. Cause like, I was like, man, that's my skill set. I I'm a community connector. I can use my resourcefulness, my training as a journalist to, to keep people connected and up to date. And the thing grew, blew up, it blew up to like a thousand people in the first weekend. And now it's up to 2000 people. And, it's really cool group of people who just like, I want to help too, but, but there's really, there's not a really actionable thing that we could, they can all do. So they're kind of just there now, uh, keep being kept up to date on information and we're, you know, putting bad rumors to rest that don't have any validity. Huh, yeah. But one thing I noticed is people are just kind of going after each other and they're, they're attacking each other. And as the moderator, they're looking at me to like, I get comments reported to me all the time that they want me to delete just because people are being semi nasty. Uh, but that's kind of what we do when we're scared is we want to, you know, blame someone else for their stupidity. Maybe you're going to a parks and overcrowding it stupid, yeah. or you're hoarding toilet paper dummy. Yeah. Uh, right. And really we should just be looking for the place where we have influence to do good, I guess, like, and whatever your, your tools are that you can do, that you can utilize to promote that good. But that's really hard to dig in deep to find when you're when you are scared and yeah. when you are frightened and you don't know how you're going to put food on the table in a week. And, you know, the same enemies that you had going into this now just look 
amplified, even though we should be shedding our preconceived ideas and our biases mm. in order to achieve the common good. Yeah, really good point. I mean, I think uh, you, you hit something there, which is really good. It's, it's like, and I think we were talking about this earlier also is, you know, taking this time and this time of meditation, if it can be used for meditation and for excavation um, to discover, you know, how do you optimize on your existence in the world right now? You know, um, you know, the two to four hours that maybe some people are saving on their commute time, right? Because now they're at home, you know, Um, or whatever it is, you know, uh, time with your family, just time to really think and ask really hard questions about, you know, what am I doing to actually aid um, in, um, in a more loving uh, and, and compassionate experience for my neighbors? You know, there's a verse in the Bible, it's John 15, I think it is, because no greater love has a man than this. And he would lay down his life for his friends, you know? And it's, unfortunate in a sense and we talked about this um offline you know mark about kobe bryant you know and his passing right and that when people were like man kobe was like really important to me i didn't even realize how important he was and it's in the context of tragedy that you start to think about what like like what actually made up a man you know and she started to consider that it wasn't just that he was a basketball player right he was actually an 18 year old knucklehead you know who grew into this man of principle, right, of character that made something of himself and contributed to the world, contributed to the common good with constructive behavior and activities once he grew up and started to consider that, you know, as if people don't know, I said him and Gigi, you know, like they went to Catholic mass every week, early in the morning before they got on that helicopter every week. And, and he went to uh, and, and and they went ga- went and did games together and, and all this kind of stuff. They took mass. They took the Eucharist every week together, just the two of them. Seven o'clock in the morning, get on it, get on a helicopter. Right? We think we're impervious to it, you know. The things that we do every day have risk. <laughs> so what if you knew that walking out of your house this is what we're thinking about right now, right? If I walk out of my house and go to the grocery store. I got to get, I was on a phone call and someone said, I got to order food from the outside. When it comes, put the bag in the microwave for 30 seconds mm. to kill all the stuff that's on it just in mm. case. Right. Mm. Um, this mm. is my Bible lesson, Psalm 90, where it says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we might have hearts of wisdom. Right. And I think that there's something going on in the world right now where if we engage, if we're really listening, will actually learn to contemplate our, our mortality and perhaps gain wisdom for how to live life and to live it with purpose and to live it generating um, in a constructive way for, for the common good. And um, maybe it's going out and giving blood. Maybe it's writing poetry. Maybe it's writing a book. Maybe it's something else. I don't know, you know, but it's something to consider. Every individual should be considering right now if they've got breath in their lungs. If you, if you, if you left this earth today, <laughs> what would make up a man? What would make you up as a man? What would, what would have made you up as a woman? What were the content, as King would say, what, what would the content of your character have been? And, and, and what would have been written? What is being written? What will be written on the epitaph of your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's a really good point too. In that you know Kobe Bryant, when you reflect on his life and take a macro look, you see, oh wow, this this was a really great individual who excelled in his craft of playing basketball, and really had a great influence on the world. You know, if you took a micro look at some of the episodes throughout his life, you might you know have some question marks around some of those accusations that were made about him. Who knows whether they're true or not. Uh, but if you take the totality of his life and the arc of his life, I think that you can measurably say with pretty a pretty good degree of certainty that that he did more good than he left behind. And that obviously depends on your perspective and who you are. But I think also, like, because we are sitting down and because everything in life takes a certain amount of risk, we are sheltered in place. The, I thought this was pretty fascinating that the CDC – data has shown that deaths have declined from all causes. So uh, just over the last two to four weeks since a lot of people have been staying home, 
fewer driving deaths, uh, fewer uh, infections of all kinds, because, you know, it's not just coronavirus that people aren't now spreading. It's, it's other things. Mm. And so by being isolated, we really are kind of saving lives beyond just coronavirus. And but that gives you a good idea of the risk that we participate and engage in every day, even when we're not, you know, sheltered in place, trying to hide and flatten the curve from coronavirus. But we still live in a way that tries to mitigate risk, as you should. I don't think that you should be reckless and speeding down the highway. You know, that is one way that you're going to end up flipped over uh, and possibly killed. But uh, but I think that, you know, we we pad our 401ks. We, we do these things because we think we're guaranteed tomorrow. And I think what this is going to show, this is another thing I think that we'll expose us to, is that, you know, it's kind of cliche to say tomorrow's not guaranteed. But I think this is showing that in a real way. Even even a nest egg that you're trying to put in to with a 401k that grows, if you have an employee match, for example, or you're in good health and so you don't think you need health insurance and then suddenly you come down and need to be you know, in the ICU because of coronavirus. These are all things that we've been living in in very risk-averse ways, and they've still kind of led us to all to the same path at the same time, uh, the same reality. And so I, th- I hope on the other side of this that we all live a little bit more brave and, you know, take calculated mm-hmm. risks because mm-hmm. I think that's the only way that you grow. And if you're not doing that, then what's what's the point if we're all going to end up, you know, sheltering and hiding in our homes away mm-hmm. from a pandemic anyway? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing that. I think we should be flattening the curve. But I'm talking yeah. about on the recovery side, on the other side of this. Uh, you know, we talk about the great generation having come up and fought in World War II. And I think the reason we called them the great generation was because everybody rose up and contributed and did their part. Men went off to war who were, you know, formerly school teachers, uh, and suddenly they're leading platoons in mm-hmm. battle across the ocean. Like everybody chipped in where they could. Even people became nurses, traveling nurses, even though they, they weren't qualified or certified during the Spanish flu. You had people opening their homes and making makeshift hospitals. And there was no regulatory oversight. It was just because things were so slammed. Everybody pitched in where they could. And I think we need to live life that way just in general. And I, I think if we do, then we that's how you get a more equitable world is when everybody equally starts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and starts listening and that's, and that's what the leaning in is about. It's leaning, yeah. it's, it's leaning in to, to, to listen, to do your best to understand, um, you know, to, to care, you know, and, um, if we don't, you know, grow in our, uh, in our willingness, you know, and our, and our ability, you know, to do those pretty fundamental things, you know, these are things that we all want. We all want to be heard. We all want to belong. Um, we all want to experience healing, you know, but healing really does require wisdom, you know, and what we think healing looks like mm-hmm. or what we think healing feels like, what it feels like is not actually true most of the time, you know, and, you know, Mark, you know, you've heard me say this before and people may or may not get this, you know, but just because, you know, we might feel pain, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not experiencing healing. And just because we don't experience pain doesn't mean that we're not, it, it doesn't mean that we are healed, right? Like the, the absence of pain mm. is not the evidence of healing is the point, you know? Um, and the presence of pain is likely the evidence that we are being healed of something, <laughs> you know? And if we're able to lean in, as you say, you know, and then we're going to unearth a lot of things that are uncomfortable, um, things we don't understand. Uh, we're not able to uh really locate the source of the internal bleeding right away and we've got to work hard to really get to the root of it you know and once we do we have to treat it and um or at least we can choose to treat it because that's the thing we don't have to do anything <laughs> you know but if we choose to if we, if we can sort of get to it to 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 a shared value here you know a shared consciousness where we're not believing everything you know with um uh, some, some sort of homogeny, you know, but instead we just leave room for difference and difference of experience. It's really important. How does this fit in? I mean, you know, in a post COVID world, hopefully very soon from now, sooner than we are, are being told, I hope. Um, my fear is that, you know, we get into some sort of a uh, situation, you know, where we, um, 
are, you know, have sort of these exacerbations, you know, of racial problems, you know, in our society, you know. Um, 9-11 is the example I've been talking about, you know, where we had, you know, this, this brief amount of time where everybody was just together, right? And that's what everyone was doing. There are all these stories of the firemen and the police and, you know, let's come together and be one America, right? Let's do that, you know, because we're all being attacked, you know, kind of thing, you know, wartime language tends to do that to us because we feel like we are a part of something bigger, you know? Now we're having that same thing, you know, it, the completely different scenarios. I'm not like, you know, trying to uh, uh, say that, you know, the advent of the coronavirus is the same thing as being attacked, you know, in 9-11, but there are things that are, that are similar. There are shared narratives, you know, they're starting to come out, but just like in 9-11, you know, like there was this, this time, it was just brief where there was that feeling, that hope of cohesion, you know, um, and then we entered into you know, really some of the most polarizing times in the history of our country after that, right? To 2008, 2012, mm-hmm. 2016, you know? And so um, do I think that that's a given, you know, in a post-corona world? Not necessarily, but as Dr. Fauci said, if you are watching some of the press briefings out of the White House, you know, um, uh, out of NIH, you know, he just said, now is not the time to let your foot up off the accelerator, now is the time to press your foot down on the gas hard <laughs> if you want to win, you know, if you want to get to the destination. And I think it's, it's, it's the same thing when it comes to racial healing and other healing, you know, that needs to happen in the context of our fair world here. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the 9-11 in 2008 and a lot of the divisiveness that is really kind of feels like it, it has come to a crescendo. Like, and I guess looking ahead, you're kind of a futurist, I think, you know, and when we think about like, what is Mark Bauer? What do I want to look like in six weeks, eight weeks when I come out of this? Just, I have some physical goals. You know, I want, uh, you know, some running goals that I have. I might as well put to use since I can be outside and running. Uh, but also what are some values that I want to aspire to and how do I want to be a better person individually? But how do we prevent ourselves when we do come back together? How do we prevent ourselves from, you know, taking what should be a moment of unity to fight a common enemy? And how do we prevent from in three, four, five years? Because also in 2008, after 9-11, you know, you had a continued Iraq war. You had a conflict in the Middle East that people just became tired of. And and then you had uh, the Obama presidency in 2008 coming off the heels of a major recession. And so, you know, if we're going to be experiencing similar plights, a similar, if not more drastic recession after COVID, then, uh, then how do we, what are the conversations our leaders need to be having to prevent Americans from becoming divided? Because I could also see opportunists using this as an opportunity to drive up their constituency. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, you want to, like you say, you know, don't take your foot off the gas. You want to slam the accelerator because now you can, you know, Nancy Pelosi stalled the, uh, the stimulus because she wanted to put in the, uh, the relief package some progressive ideas that they've been, you know, touting all along and they wanted to, to add it on as pork. And I don't want to debate the, you know, the validity of those uh, pieces of individual legislation, but you know, she was using that as an opportunity to to try to build the landscape the, in the liberal, the progressive idea of it. And likewise, on the other side, you're you're probably going to see conservatives do the same over the long term, especially as it comes up uh, as the as the elections come up. So, how do we how do we maintain civility and yeah, Unity. I mean, it's a really great question. And I think it's not unlike what you've said, Mark. I think that this is, you know, um, and, and, and a lot of the work I'm doing now, you know, I think that this is really about um, really encouraging and, and empowering us, you know, to recognize where, we're, where, where we've been impacted um, uh, in our lives, maybe even generationally, you know, with a resistance you know, to getting to, you know, to treating people with dignity, um, especially when they're people we don't understand. Um, so I don't want to just be tolerated as a person. You know, I want someone, if you, if you want to engage me, if 
Do you want to, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of time, you know, for the people that, you know, are just going to look at me and check the box, right. And say, that's the kind of person he is. Now, the challenge for me there is that what if it's a person that holds power over me, right? And so what is it that I risk, you know, by, by not, it's, it's not just about civility, right? It's about sometimes I have to create gridlock. <laughs> Some, sometimes I have to speak truth to power. And sometimes I have to be willing to experience the consequences of what speaking truth to power might be for me as the person who's speaking truth, right? Um, it could mean that I experience something punitive or retaliation, right, towards me, you know? To me, I think that's a great thing if I'm speaking truth in love, right? If I'm speaking truth in pain, you know, or in a pain that um, that, that is bitterness, like a bitter pain and an angry pain, you know, not like an authentic pain where I just, you know, uh, am, am willing to, 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 to be a healer out of the context of the trauma that I've gone through as a person. If I instead lean into bitterness, then I'll be a part of the problem, even though I might be the person that was the victim. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just, we have to begin to get that kind of insight about ourselves. And I remember, you know, we were doing season one and even, you know, the season two, you know, um, and our part, like half a season two, whatever it was that we did there. But, um, you know, was that, uh, you know, so many folks, you know, when they got back to us, you know, were like, you know what, I'm going to counseling. I said, I thought we were going to talk about race here, you know, and we did <laughs> talk a lot about race and tried to define a lot of terms and things like that, you know, and the reality is that, you know, through conversation, people were like, you know what, I have a real problem, not with racism, though really, it was like, I have a problem accepting myself. I have a problem being honest with myself about Mm. ways in which I treat people because I don't love me, you know? And if you can't love yourself, baby, as they say, how are you going to love somebody else? You know? So I think that's what we got to do. It's one person at a time. It's one community at a time. Um, But we have to be able to scale that and, and scale it soon, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the way that we do that, if we talk about rebuilding, I think one thing that I've as part of my growth in this area is I've always been, you know, careful, like white fragility is the thing that I don't want to trigger. And, Same. Uh, and I, I don't think, either. I don't know. If I just woke up this. Yeah. You especially. But uh, I, I think I woke up with a non BS attitude this morning in like even in the Facebook co-op group. And I hope Actually, I'm sure there's some people who listen to this podcast who are part of it, but I, I try to start a conversation very diplomatically. I thought about, let's not call it the Wuhan virus. Maybe let's call it the uh, COVID-19, the, the name that is assigned to it. Not because you're racist necessarily, but because it could have prejudicial impact against Asian Americans and we want to avoid that. And that like people on the, the right thought that I was being too sensitive. People on the left thought that I was uh, not being Mm -hmm. sensitive enough, strong enough. And so I was like, ah, the hell with it. So, but now as, as you're building a foundation and if things are stripped down because of this and we are going to rebuild over the next two, three, four years, you, you want to have a strong foundation. And I really don't think, I think if you see misinformation or as you say, speaking truth to power, if you see someone trying to spout something, some nonsense, like this is the time, the most important time as you're building the foundation, not to have any issues with the, the structural integrity of it, because that's the whole, the whole daggum thing is going to be built on top of it. So if someone's trying to spout nonsense, now is the time to call them out and to have a non BS posture. And if their feelings are hurt, their feelings are hurt. They can go build a, a, a more fragile house. And then once they see that that comes crashing down, then maybe they'll come running and we'll welcome them once they see the, the community and the society that is built on shared interests and the common good. Uh, you know, eventually I think that that will overcome in the long run, even if there is going to be some pain in the meantime, yeah. and that might be yeah. people falling off your wagon. Yeah. That, That's, you true. That's true. Um, it's true. It's true. Well, I guess we fixed that. it. Yeah, in <laughs> 45 record, minutes, that's a record. We've had longer ones. I think we've been more effective at talking about dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, racism and dating it has, has been that, is, that has changed, changed my life. That's changed sure. lives, you know? for sure. <laughs> 
I mean, maybe the next episode should be how do you oh, date God. in a not co- even post? How do you date in the world? In the coronavirus world, how do you do it? You know, the digital dates, we should actually give people that say, like, That's you right. get tools and things after this or recommended readings or something. I'm like, everybody just, like, get on an online platform and just meet new people. You know, I think, <laughs> I think you know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if we can endorse certain things, but if you guys haven't watched, like, Love is Blind, I literally resisted it, you know, on Netflix, you know, about, like, how these people met and dated, you know, in these pods for, like, 10, 10 days or whatever. Um, and then they get engaged without ever seeing each other, you know, which I think is probably a really interesting experience if we were able to do that in the context of our racially divided culture, you know, um, is to say, what if you actually were like the areas and these common spaces that we share in which, you know, we are racially triggered, if they were like, if we were able to like take people and put them in pods and say, you should probably date each other and see what you think about each other and then come out and be oh like, my Oh gosh. my God, you're white. Oh yeah. my God. You're black. Oh my God. Yeah. You're so, you know, and how people just be so surprised, you know, at, at how, um, how beautiful you like the soul and the spirit is of people when you have a deep emotional connection with them before you ever see what they look like. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because uh, a friend of mine watched binge the show same as you, I think in like two days and was obsessed with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you talk about checking the box like that. That's it. We should talk about Love is Blind yeah. on the podcast. So maybe we will. But because one thing that they told me, and I want to see what you think about this, is she sensed that people, despite the fact that they couldn't see each other, the the pair, the pairs that resulted from it are what you yes. would have thought had they could see each other. So she thought she thought that the more attractive people were paired up despite having not being able to see their attractiveness the the people who have interracially dated before were paired up and uh and so on and so forth and it was kind of interesting to me because if that is the truth i haven't seen the show but the thought i had hearing her talk about that was how much of our identity is internalized and just how we react toward one another so if you are an attractive person you have been trained your whole life to talk that's right and to act and to behave in a certain way that another person who's been trained yeah. in that way yeah, yeah, yeah. is going to be able i to totally get that and what's Did interesting you get that? is that it was all based on appearance right or, or rather like trying to hold people from um seeing one another but people would still describe themselves to one another right like you can still say what you are uh, yeah. you know and you can say what you do mm-hmm you can say what kind of experiences that you've had, right? And then people make their judgments based on that. I think there's, this is what I mean, right? This is just so, it's way more nuanced and you just can't remove one factor and then, you know, say, oh yeah, love is blind, you know? Well, it wasn't actually completely blind, you know? Um, Because we see with more senses than just our sight, right? Than our physical sight. We don't just use our eyeballs to perceive. Because if that were the case, then every blind person in the world would be an invalid. You know what I mean? Like we train, you know, to use our other senses when you you discontinue, when you block one sense from activating, right? Then you heighten other senses, right? Uh, Smell, touch, whatever it is in order to understand and navigate through the environment that you're being placed in. It doesn't mean that you're still not getting the information that you would typically be getting, right? Right. You see what I'm saying? And it, it yeah. does, I think that what ends up, ends up happening yeah. in this show is that the people that were ready, the people that were mature, the people that already had the character, right, for being able to have these relationships and get married and move on and, and, and to date with, with integrity, were able to be married with integrity, regardless of whether or not, you know, you were open to being in an, in an interracial relationship or not, regardless of whether or not you were concerned about your differences in, in, in age or about class or things like that, right? The people that had the integrity and the character for it already were able to emulate that. And, and it could be that they grew even more. It could have been the hotbed for actually accentuating those character traits that had already been, um, been worked on, right? It actually, they actually leaned into them more as strengths. The people that didn't have that also were exposed for not having that more. Right. And so their relationships weren't successful. You know, so it's super interesting. But was it completely blind? Absolutely not. 
And but they definitely did good, good, good marketing yeah. around it for sure. And so there'll be a season two. Stand, stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man, I could talk another fifteen minutes about this. That's your I haven't homework. even seen it. And maybe that's my homework so that uh so we can talk about it. Uh maybe dedicate yeah, an entire episode because I feel like there's so much. Like you just gave I a nice I feel te- like I'm teaser to it. Too, if you haven't watched it, appetizer. You watch it, come back, leave comments, whatever it is, and we'll engage a conversation. Let's do a poll or something and see if people are interested in doing yeah. this. But I think we should definitely talk about it. That'd be great. Yeah. And meanwhile, so we'll get that episode recorded yep. sometime here in the next week or so. Uh, but in the meantime, I would love to know kind of what, you know, if you're listening, what do you think the racial conversation looks like post COVID? What, what are the, the things that we're going to have to address uh, in rebuilding in order to have an equitable foundation and one that's based on integrity. And, uh, and also Brandon, what are some skill sets? I'm kind of just dropping this on you, but like, what are the tools? What is a question? One question you want people to ask their takeaway from this to, I to become a better person. I am so intrigued right uh, now. What I want thoughts. is I want to know what is it that people want to create during this time? Like, what do you want to produce? You know, like if it's just you, sitting in an apartment or sitting in your house and you've got, and you're locked in, what do you do? What do you create? What do you want to create? Do you want to generate better relationships? Do you want to spend more time with your kids? Do you want to deepen your relationship with your wife? Do you want to write a book? You know, what is the most constructive use of your time when you match that with the, uh, with the reality of the hour in which we're living, right? Um, that you could walk out, you could catch it, you could die, right? And if you know that if you're locked inside, you have a little bit of time left on the earth, right? What are you going to create? What are you going to produce? And just from an aspirational point of view, what are you going to do? And then challenge yourself to do it. That's all. <laughs> Not a big deal. That's it. Not a big That's deal. That's all. Not a big deal. That's easy. Yeah. Easy breezy. Easy breezy. Awesome. Appreciate all right, you, my man. friend. Well, appreciate you as always. And appreciate the listeners. And we will be back next time for episode two. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, And then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then of course, if you think you had know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.